The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. You know what's absolutely bananas? The stories we've told ourselves in this country have been one-eyed. New Zealand Aotearoa has one of the world's most amazing stories of navigation and exploration, yet for years when it was taught about, it was only Cook and Tasman that were named. Coupe was called a legend, and the seafaring feats of journeying across the ocean and back again of the first people of New Zealand were written off as almost an accident. Everyone's heard of Cook, but how many people knew that great navigator only got his way in and out of trouble across the Pacific with the aid of Tupaya? from Tahiti, who he picked up and who even had a map of the Pacific. Also, who really heard when they learned about Cook how murderous his first trip was around New Zealand, his crew killing people all around the country? We failed to tell the stories that didn't make the Pakeha tradition look good, but there's a tide turning. News comes that colonisation and the land wars will finally be taught in schools, but one person not waiting for this is someone who spent an entire career telling stories in new ways. Ian Taylor is behind a project to elevate the stories and understanding of some of our greatest navigators the world has ever seen. His company, Animation Research Limited, from Dunedin, has grown to become the world leader in sports graphics. If you've seen an America's Cup race and worked out who's ahead, that's his tech. And that's just the start. As pioneers in computer graphics, they were responsible for everything from the Bluebird Penguins to Hollywood scenes to cricket graphics and everything in between. Ian Taylor is still leading the team and winning gongs for innovating to this day, but now also has turned his eye to making sure we all know our history so we can build from it. To talk the journey, our stories and what's next, Ian Taylor joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Uh, kia ora, kia ora Simon. Thank you so much for being here today. Tell, tell us about your start in, uh, in entrepreneurship. So many great stories, starting back with dropping out of business school to join a band that toured with the Beach Boys. Yeah, that was, uh, that was back in 68, uh, I think, 68, 69. And, um, I, I remember I, I went down to do a business degree in, in, um, in Victoria because we'd grown up in Rauponga where things like, you know, we never, ever had a brand new car. So I thought I'd get a business degree and then I'd go and work for General Motors and maybe the first thing they'd give me was a new car. So that's how I started. But I, I only lasted at, um, at university for six weeks. So uh, uh, it was six weeks in and a friend of mine who had been at school with turned up and said, hey, Ian, we've just lost our, our singer. You know, it was a guy called Carl Evanson who went on to sing in the formula. And he said, we're in the Battle of the Bands this week, so we don't have a singer. What are you doing this weekend? And I thought, oh, 
really? Well, that sounds, and it, it's funny, it's like having these, having, this, this is why your past is really important, because the first movie I ever saw, I saw in a, in a place called Koakoa up north, um, and I think I was probably about four, and it was Bill Haley and the Comets, Rock Around the Clock, and I remember coming home from that, thinking, one day I'm going to be in a band, I was four, and so now this guy knocks on the door and says, we've got this gap in the van this weekend, I remember that movie, thought, oh well, I'll go and do that. <laughs> so anyway, we had this thing, and I think we won. Yeah, yeah, I think we did. I think we won with a BG song, and um, and we recorded it. And then it sort of that was the next week. He came to me and said, "So, do you want to just join the band full time now?" And that's my first decision was, you know, business degree, rock and roll band in the sixties was a no brainer. <laughs> so I joined the band. And you toured all around the country and then around around the world and, and no, no, signed, we, signed overseas? No, or? no, no. So, so I, I stayed while we toured. We mm. toured. It was the Beach Boys, and the Beach Boys came to New Zealand. And um, I still remember this in Wellington. Um, come, we went down and we, we did our rehearsal. Then they turned up, and they kind of floated. And I can still remember that. It was just phenomenal. And I wasn't a big fan of the Beach Boys. You know, I thought this mincy-pincy sort of music. Um, and they get up on the stage. And this sound, mm. this the vocal sound that just came out filled the hall. You know, I just thought it was amazing and absolutely terrifying because I thought, we don't sound anything like that. <laughs> We're in really big trouble. <laughs> so we got on and got off as fast as we could. And then you jumped straight out of uh, the 60s being in a band and into the army. Yeah, so... Again, you know, I, th I think that's I, – if I, if I look out of my life, it's, there's all these junctures that come up where you look – a critical point comes up and you go, yeah, left or right. So I'd been in the band for about three, four years, and, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't great. I wasn't a great singer. We had a great, great time. But by this time I thought, yeah, no, nah, I, I really I'm, – I'm not sure about this. And then I got called up. It, it's really interesting. It was the very last military call-up ever. Um, they only pulled two dates out of July. I mean, I had never even won a raffle. <laughs> they, they pulled two dates out of July, and one of them was mine. But it was kind of like a sign. I said, yep. I mean, it's not something – because I didn't have to go because I was in a band. Others were reliant on me, so I could have got out. But for me, it was a sign. So I, we'd, we'd heard this other singer in another band. I said, you guys would be better off with him. So you take him. I'm going to the army. So that's what I did. And I imagine the, like, was it Wairuru? Was it? Yeah. Well, it started, we started in, um, down in, in Canterbury, mm. was where I went in first. And then um, was really weird. This is one of the, even now, you know, I was talking about in the Māori worldview, our past is always in front of us. So we always see it. And just you've just reminded me that um, when I went in there, the majority of people, I think there were about sort of four or 500 of us, and the majority didn't even have school C. Mm. And a lot of them, Māori, Pacifica. And I remember thinking that was really weird. And because I had school C in UE, I went immediately onto the officer's course. <laughs> mm. And they sent me to Waiuru. And that, I mean, it was freezing, it was cold, but that's... That's um that's where I start. But even now, as I think about it, even back then, there was this huge imbalance. Obviously, you know, most of these kids, and some of them, there were there were Maori there who didn't speak English, you know. So, and I'm I'm just realising it now. So this kind of mission we're on now, 
is addressing something that has been wrong for ages. Mm. And out of that, you know, you talk about education there. Out of the army, you jumped straight in and decided to knock off law school. And so obviously education was... Oh, no, no, I did something. Something uh, something in between. Something in between, yeah, yeah. But education was obviously really important. Yeah, so so anyway, I I, I get out of the, the... the, the army and I'm kind of left standing there on the side of the road at Wairu thinking, God, what do I do now, you know? And and when we toured in the band, one of the best places we played was Dunedin. And I met a whole lot of guys there who worked in the brewery down there. So I rang them up and said, do you reckon there's a job there? And they said, yeah, come on down. So I worked in a brewery for a year. And um, as part of that, they used to have these wonderful capping concerts. You know, they used to sell out the town hall, the university capping concerts. And they were doing, I think, Jesus Christ Superstar and a guy called Marshall Seifert, who directed him, rang me up and said, hey, Ian, um, you know, you used to be in the band. I saw you. We need somebody to be the um, Herod. And uh, what are you doing? So I thought, oh, that sounds great. So I went and did Herod. I was also um, I was also the devil. Please allow me to introduce myself. Anyway, so I did that. And we had a week of this. And I thought, God, this is fun. So I thought, well, I'll go and do a degree now because I've met all these people. And I thought medicine or law. This is the thinking, and law was shorter, so I did law. <laughs> and that Dunedin, so Dunedin kind of had had a, a kind of hold on you, so you, you, you loved the place and then went and, and studied down there. And how, how did kind of like deciding to stay and make, make that your place kind of lead to some of these opportunities? Because you rolled out of law school and then into television, which, um, play school. Yeah, yeah well, well, actually, actually, so I, I was, it was my last year, so I was just finishing my degree, and um, someone, Someone, oh, they rang me up from the TV studios and they said, you know, um, you used to be in a band. Would you like to audition for play school? And at that stage, I had a job in a bar, you know, I used to do all this sort of stuff. And and, um, and I thought, so here's this history again lying in front of us. So I absolutely remember um, in boarding school in Masterton, I was there when television came out. And on Sundays, you used to go out with the day boys. They used to go out for dinner and stuff. And I went round to this house and they had one of these new things called a TV. And I still remember seeing the Donna Reed show on telly. So I was probably 15, 16, and I remember thinking, hmm, one day I'm going to be on the telly. You know, that looks really cool. So here again, you know, you're past always in front of you. Somebody rings me up and says, you want to be on the telly? Didn't matter that it was play school. You know, it's the telly. So, so anyway, I, I, I did it as a part-time job. Play school's one of our great cultural oh, institutions it, in this country. It was fantastic, <laughs> and it was perfect because, you know, I used to work in this bar for a pittance to make money. Well, this one, it, paid you, it doesn't sound much now, but they paid you $50 a program. You did two of them a day for two and a half days every three weeks. So I could still do my lectures, steal somebody else's notes. For the two and a half days I was there, and I got 250 bucks. It was fantastic. <laughs> so then I, that, then I finished my degree. And I thought, well, I better go out and find a law job now. And somebody again came up and said, you know, um, old Ray is leaving spot on. You should go and talk to them. So I, this friend of mine, really good friend now, Mike Steadman. So I went and saw Mike and he said, oh, yeah, okay, well, we better, we better do an audition. So I thought, yeah, okay, we'll do that. The audition was brilliant. What he did was we all went over to the um, City Hotel, I think it was called then. And there were no New Zealand wines at the time. My task, our task was to drink every bottle of German white wine they had, the whole team. This is a kids' program, by the way. <laughs> so the whole team, we gathered around and we drank every bottle of white wine they had. <laughs> then we went back to their office, and it was a big office, and there was a target on the wall, and he gave me this bow and arrow, 
And he said, if you hit the target, the job's yours. <laughs> it's really funny. I was talking to him not very long ago. And both of us can't remember whether I hit the target. <laughs> but I got the job. Yeah, coming out of the army, you probably had a yeah. few skills with the target, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then that kind of, um, that step into TV, like obviously you loved, uh, you loved the, the telling stories and you loved to kind of like package things up for people. What led you into the production side of things from being a presenter? Well, there, there were a number of things. So... Um, I had I really it was a great time so I had spot on and then I was part of the team that started the initial um, company that became Natural History in the mm, end. Yeah, well, and um, they're a huge, yeah, huge success story for New Zealand that so few people know about. Yeah, so uh, we were part of that, and um, there were all sorts of things um, sort of went through, but but um, ultimately TVNZ decided that they were going to close Dunedin down. So I mean there were about three hundred people working there. We did. Around 30, 30%, 40% of all local production was actually made in Dunedin at the time. Wow. Um, and so by then I decided that I was never leaving Dunedin. So I figured, God, I don't know very much. You know, I can't remember my law degree. I couldn't know, I wouldn't know where to find it. Um, and so I just came up with this crazy idea. At, at the time I was doing Funniest Home videos as well. So I was flying from Dunedin to Auckland to do Funniest Home videos. And... Um, on one of the trips, I went caught, caught up with the boss of TVNZ and said, if you're closing that down, could we lease it off you? Because I'm going to stay there. So we did a deal. We leased it off, and we started making kids' programs down there. And um, at the same time, I was still doing things like reading the news down there. And one day I read this. This is 1989. I read the news um, about these four students from Otago University had just gone to America and won the World Computing Champs. They're the first non-American university ever to do it. They beat Stanford, Harvard, all the big guns, cleaned them out. And I remember reading that and thought, God, that's interesting. So one day I popped down there and saw what they were doing and thought, God, I've just leased this TV studio. Um, what if we bring some of your computer graphics into here? Um, maybe we'll get jobs in Auckland. And that's how that started. So we kind of, no plan. Yeah. It just <laughs> seemed like there's an opportunity. Why don't we... Give this a go, and we did it on a handshake. Yeah, you know, with the university, nothing, no, no paper signed. Did it on a handshake, and it, really interesting. The two, two of the people who started, who were in that team, who started with me in 1989, are still with me. Wow! And that entrepreneurial jump into taking on a large space, uh, going to the university and striking a deal to go into a partnership with them, and and convincing these, you know, scientists that it'd be a good idea to jump out and, um, and, and and work in the thing. Like, what what was your what was your pitch? Actually, the, the, the bigger pitch I had, because in order to take over those studios, I needed half a million dollars. And I had about probably 15 in the bank, $15. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so um, th there was this really cool, I, my, 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 my um, accountant, Māori friend of mine, Phil Broughton, I, um, he still tells the story. He was in, he was asleep in bed one Sunday morning, and there's this knock on his window, and it was me. And um, so he said, "Well, you go down and make the coffee. I'll have a shower. We'll talk about this." So I said, "Look, I need to borrow half a million dollars from somewhere." And Phil said, "Well, okay, we're going to have to have to write a business plan and do some projections." And uh, and I said, "Oh, hang on, Phil, come on, come off it. Look, we're both Maori. We don't write. I mean, that's not our trip. Why would we be writing a business plan?" He said, well, that's what you've got to do now. I said, well, I tell you what, give me, give me a couple of days. I'm going to just talk to the bank manager because I, I knew him, Andrew Wilson. We used to windsurf together. So I rang up Andrew and said, Andrew, uh, I need a 
led to a meeting. So I went in and said, um, I need to borrow half a million dollars. And Andrew said, oh, okay, let's go for a walk. <laughs> so we walked the whole length of Dunedin, walked back, walked into his office, and he says, you've got it. Wow. That was really cool. And, and you know, not to sound like 1989 so long ago, but half a million dollars in 1989 is not half a million dollars today. It was a huge amount buy, of you money. You could buy a couple of streets in Ponsonby for yeah. half a million dollars <laughs> in 1989. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was a huge amount of money. And um, it was funny too because he said, so now we're probably going to have to look at personal guarantees. And and I said, Andrew, look at my account. It's got $15 in it. He goes, yeah, no, you're right. So we didn't even have personal guarantees. Wow. I remember telling this story once at a conference. <laughs> and... Afterwards, this old guy came over, and he happened to be the chairman of the National Bank. <laughs> and, like, what are they doing down at Dunedin? He, he said, please tell me that story wasn't true. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it worked out. Well, it worked. You know, the thing was, when you were trusted by someone like that, mm. you're just never going to let them down, ever. Mm. You know, so, and it was great. It, we became, it was a partnership, because now I knew that he'd lent me all this money, um, if we got into financial trouble, I just used to ring him up and say, hey, Andrew, you need to get down here because you and I are in a bit of trouble. Yeah. There's but, that great line, eh, that if you if you owe $1,000, it's your problem. If you owe a million dollars, it's the bank's problem. Yeah, it was great. So it was Andrew's problem. <laughs> and how did you grow the business? So, you, you know, like um, these days, you know, with, with and the way that you've used the internet over the years to make Dunedin close to the rest of the world. But 1989, you've got some great, computer graphics people it's before computer graphics are that widely like um used or available uh how do you go from having some some cool tech some big dreams to actually make it into something that ends up being used by kind of every great sports broadcaster in the world well you know it's it's really it's really apt that we're having this discussion now where you know the ministry of education has finally thought that history is important mm. because in the maori worldview um, is the saying that, you know, the footsteps laid down by our ancestors centuries ago create the paving stones of where we stand today. And that, that applies to us personally. Mm. So if you keep all of those footsteps in front of you, you learn from them. So I'm looking back, it's 1989. And so I started this company in Dunedin, mm. bottom of the world, it's a tech company, and we've decided we're not leaving Dunedin. You know, I mean, how do you... How do you come up with an idea like that? Well, one of the things that I've learned looking out there is that you also learn, you know, our, our business philosophy is bugger the boxing, pour the concrete anyway. And that that was our, our um, receptionist came up with that. It was very high tech. Um, but what I've learned is that, again, with all of those footsteps in front of me, we've lived that totally. So because there are two lessons that come from that. The first is if your team tell you that they are able to pour concrete without boxing, you believe them. You trust them no matter how hard it looks. If they say they can do it, believe them. Mm. So that's trust. So you trust everyone around you. But the other one that's really important is that now with all of that, those footsteps, I've recognised that somewhere in the world there will be someone spending huge amounts of money designing software and or hardware which one day will be you will enable you to pour concrete without boxing. You just have to believe, and we have seen that. So the interesting thing about 1989, when we set up that company to take on the world from the bottom of the world, um, there was this guy called Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who in 1989, the same year we started, built the World Wide Web. Mm. So in the same year we had that vision, someone who we'd never heard of built us the highway to the world that is 
absolutely central to our business. Mm. We didn't know it was there. We didn't know it was coming. But that's bugger the box in Port of Concrete anyway. And in those early days, before there were those paths to market, like I read a great story about you'd just send out tapes of versions of what you'd done to people you thought were interesting producers around the world. And, and ha- yeah, how did you kind of get in contact with these people? To Well, actually, so the, um, there was this producer called David Green, commercial producer. So we'd started doing this stuff, and we hadn't done a lot. Um, but he actually, he called me up one day and said um, – that he actually uh, no actually I know what it was I saw I saw an ad that he'd done it was flying umbrellas the, it was an AMP ad mm. with flying umbrellas and I thought God that guy's got vision you know and um, so I sent him a little sample tape to say here's what we're doing down in Dunedin so um, anyway he called me back and said oh, I'll come down see this big time commercial producer come down and I'm showing what we're doing and I mean it's not much we haven't done anything we've made a uh, uh, an opening title for a university challenge and something else, not much else. But he looked at it all. He said, you know, I haven't got anything at the moment, but I will be back. And he disappeared. And then a year or so later, he calls me up and he says, I've got this job and it's for United Airlines. So I'm coming back down. So he came down and, I mean, this, we, I mean, the most, I think the most money we'd made in by that stage was about $5,000. And he turned up with this commercial for a quarter of a million. And we'd never made an ad ever, but he trusted us. Mm-hmm. And it went on to win awards. But he, he did that. And another one I did was with TVNZ. When I first started, we made a couple of um, little sample tapes. And I came up to Auckland to the TVNZ um, headquarters. And I went into the head designer, and he wasn't there. So I just left it on his desk with a note. And um, a couple of days later, he rang me up. He said, this is really doing this stuff. I said, in Dunedin, he said, oh, okay, I've got the homes, opening titles, One Network News, and sport, you want to give them a crack. So that's how we started. Oh, that's amazing. And, and the, the technology, like um, like the Bluebird ad that, you know, everyone will have kind of oh. uh, embedded in their consciousness. Like, th- it's, it was like that turning point as well of the technology going from being a novelty to something that could actually tell emotional stories that people engaged with, hey? The, the Bluebird ad was incredible because it was a first as well. And I've just forgotten his name now, but the guy who designed it was a traditional animator. So that would normally be done, you know, the way you'd see cartoons. Mm. But he'd seen some of the things we were doing, and he called me up and said, why don't we give this a shot in full 3D? And again, I I always have this joke, you know, you go to the team and go, "Um, see this storyboard, this guy wants to do it in 3D. Do you reckon we could do that? Don't see why not, you know. That's my guys. That's the programmers. That's a. I always joke. That's a programmer getting excited. <laughs> Don't see why not. So anyway, we get the guy down, and they set off and they make this ad with this thing. And I mean, what a lot of people probably don't know is that it was then selected to be played in the top at SIGGRAPH, which is a huge computer graphics thing. And then they have this ultimate theatre exhibition where they select the best animations in the world. And they screen them over five nights. There's 15, 2,000 people in the hall. It's absolutely sold out. And so we get selected. So we go up there, three of us, and we're sitting up the back and you catch these buses and there's bloody crowds of people everywhere. We catch these buses and we're watching. And this was where they introduced the first animations for Toy Story, Batman, 
we're sitting at the back of this thing going, oh my gosh, this is going to be really embarrassing. They're going to have our skiing penguin up here. And the skiing penguin came up, and we're sitting here having seen all this stuff, and it starts, and I'll never forget the laughter that started at the front of the room, and it just rolled up, and it finished, and people were clapping. Mm. It was like, God, this is incredible. But, you know, and it just came from a couple of guys going, this hasn't been done before. Shall we give it a shot? Don't see why not. And there's the skiing penguin. I, I saw an article somewhere that said that part of the success of your business is you'd go out there and find a need, and then you'd come back and say, well, we're going to do this. And then they go, well, no one's done that before, and then they'd just have to find a way to, to do it. You know, there's an interesting thing, you know, so if we're talking about business, I've always joked that um, I've never, ever written a business plan in 30 years. And um, I always used to, jo- you know, I always tell a story that, if anyone asks how I got here, I just surrounded myself with really clever white people. Mm. And um, But as it, time's gone on, as I've started to explore these stories about our ancestors, celestial navigation, the design of these waka, which was absolutely incredible, mm. fastest migration in the history of mankind, untold story. Um, I've discovered that that's kind of, this, uh, you know, surrounding myself with white people, it gets a laugh, but it's that kind of casual racism, and mm. I'm guilty of it. Because I, I actually thought that. What could I be bringing to this? Well, I think this project I'm on now is I've looked at the celestial navigation. I think I know what Māori and Pacifica can bring to business. And I think it's something that has been lost. Um, I was talking to Hotoroa Kerr, who's, who teaches celestial navigation. He was telling me the story about how he had this young, young guy that he trained, and they went out for his trial and test out to sea. And a day or so out, the fog closed in, and it stayed closed in, so they couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sun, the rising sun, Venus. And um, Hodora could see that he was concerned, and so he called him over and he said, look, we've taught you everything you need to know. Nature has all of the, it's out there. So what you need to do now is go lie in the hull and feel it. Close your eyes and feel it. And so he went down, yeah, he had a few hours, came back upstairs and went, I think I know where I am, you know. And when I heard that story, I don't, I'm not comparing myself to Celestial Navigator, but if that's in our DNA, then I would look at animation research as being my walker. And over 30 years, whilst I haven't written a business plan, every now and again, I go down, lie in the hull, close my eyes, and feel where the currents are taking us. Mm-hmm. And then I come back on deck where I have this A team, the crew is this absolute A-team, and I'm able to say, you know what, I think we should go that way. Mm-hmm. And I know that they can take us that way. We don't know what's there. We don't know why we've got an idea, but the currents are taking us there. And I think now, as I look back at 30 years, I think that maybe that's why so many of the things we have done, we were the first to do. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if that kind of intuitiveness that comes from our celestial navigators from our ancestors is in our DNA. Māori and Pacifica should be grasping that. That should be in our business schools. We should be taking hold of it. And, you know, one of the questions that I even have now for our iwi leaders, I would ask them, when was the last time you actually went down and lay in the hull and closed your eyes? And I imagine it's been quite some time. That idea of, like, the skipper getting the great crew to get to the destination is so apt as well because the uh, 
the America's Cup, you know, a, a, a maritime uh, thing has yeah. been such a big part of the story of Animation Research Limited as well. Like, t- tell me about how you, um, you you got to be a part of that. And I love the quote from Bruno Trouble, um, you know, famous kind of like Mr. America's Cup guy, where he said the three best things that had ever happened to the America's Cup were the invention of the radio, the television, and Animation Research it's Limited. It's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, you talk about the crew. So um, the thing about... Um, Cooper, you know, the, the crew that made this journey mm. from Hawaii, Tahiti, to here. Um, I, I had this idea that I, I always called this story um, a nation born of sailors. And it was really interesting because when I talked to Cliff Curtis about it, Cliff said to me, nah, that's the wrong name. You know, they weren't sailors. I mean, some of them were, but it was bigger. And so I used to have this thing, a nation born of sailors, innovators. I mean, it was this huge long line. But as we... As we came to putting together this new platform, I had called it A Nation Born of Sailors. And um, two people that I've got working on it, uh, Anna Marbrook and Brendan Donovan, came back to me and said, and Anna has done all these stories on Waka. Anna came back and said, um, you know, we're having a think about this. We shouldn't call it A Nation Born of Sailors. Um, a, first of all, a nation is this kind of colonial um, kind of thing. So for Māori and Pacifica, it's a land. So let's just call it land and um, this whole idea of sailing is just a p- small part of a much bigger thing which is voyaging sailors voyage but on those waka everybody on the waka was in the, at their 18 one was a celestial navigator one was a skipper another would be a botanist another would have been an astrologer another would have you know everyone on that team was on their A game and that is kind of Team New Zealand. So the, a nation born of sailors is, came from this thing that I had where I, we made this animation of the two waka, Maui and Aotearoa, that turns into the, the um, America's Cup boat and then sails. So we argue, we, our, our, our story there was that the America's Cup today is here because it comes from a nation born of sailors that goes way, way back to the first waka haurua that were designed, double-hulled waka with sails that crossed the Pacific Ocean in a way no one could do. And we were down down the road the other day, that, and we were down the road the other day there when they launched that new boat, mm. you know, the first of its kind in the world ever. And I'm standing there with um, one of the, Jack Tanner, one of the, um, one of the celestial navigators, and said so, it's just an extension of our waka haurua, mm. you know. The waka haurua 3,000 years ago was nobody had seen anything like it. And here today in Aotearoa, they're just launching another one of those, which didn't answer your question, did it? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great story. <laughs> so the reason yeah. the reason we got into the America's yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you see, th- th- I think, again, you know, this, this, there, there's this thing for me that, you know, moments align and and – when they align, you have to take them. Mm. The gods are sending you a, a message. So um, the America's Cup was interesting because I, re- I remember, you know, New Zealand had got involved and we'd only just started and we'd, we'd been going for about a year. And I remember calling Professor Jeff Weivel and the two, two the, the guys who'd won the competition in America. I remember calling them together and going, listen, um, New Zealand's going to get into the America's Cup and we're going to have to watch it. And it's as boring as the proverbial, you know. I mean, what could we do to make it more exciting? 
And so they just came up with this idea. And so if we tracked it, they did it. And it just came from there. And I, I think now that that's part of storytelling. You know, it was never about the technology. Um, I was just talking to somebody in America who wanted to know, you know, what's the tech behind your company? And I said, it's not, there's nothing to do with technology. It's to do with finding solutions. And sometimes technology allows us to do that. It's to tell stories. So our goal here was there's all of this stuff happening out there. People are spending millions of dollars doing this. There must be something in this sport that we don't understand because mm. people are passionate about it. So let's find out what that is. So again, maybe that comes from my Māori heritage. We're storytellers. So to the 18, let's find some tools so we can tell this story well. And we've done every America's Cup since 1992, so I just figure those clever white people did find the tools to do it. <laughs> yeah, but... The, but, but that, you know, so... so the, yeah, that, the, and, and as you say, that's such a funny thing to say because, like, what, what, why, why are they the clever white people? Like, why... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, see, and now that whole, whole celestial navigation, the intuitiveness, um, you know, Sir Aparananata, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was along these lines. He said, this is 1949 which is actually the 200th anniversary of Captain Cook arriving. And again, these are just, for me, they're signs mm. that this year we need to do something. But Sir Aparananata said this to a nine-year-old girl. So think of this, it's 49, a nine-year-old girl asked her what it, where her future lay, and he said something along the lines, um, go forth, young girl, take the tools of the Pākehā and use them as your creative lodestar. I mean, 49. You know, we talk about gender diversity. We talk about technology. We talk about, and that long ago, 50 years ago, mm. this Māori elder talking to a nine-year-old girl mm. identifies the future. And, uh, you know, again, we keep going, you know, the history's not important. If you keep that and say, that, that's a lesson mm. to learn. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I've seen you talk about your journey and um, towards understanding like what what you were taught at school was only half of the the picture of the history of New Zealand, the history of Māori, and the history of uh, great Polynesian uh, navigators. What, what 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 and and how that's kind of led into these projects that you're now working on to help kind of uh, everyone in Aotearoa understand uh, the real stories. So yeah, what. What were you taught at school? And how did that mean that you ended up being in a position where you'd say lines like, oh, the clever white folk, when obviously <laughs> you're leading the boat, you're driving the innovation, and you're making it all happen? Um, but see, I, 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 still, I still don't believe that. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, I, and it's so easy to say, but th it has always been a team. <laughs> and, 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 and actually now, when I think about it, Maybe that's that Māori sense of whānau mm. as well. Mm. You know, the fact that the people who started with me are still there. It's family. Mm. Um, some of their children are now working in our place. Mm. It's family. And so, you know, there isn't a, there isn't a leader. Um, it, it's not me. Uh, it, everything that has happened could not have happened without the sum of everything, mm. which includes... Um, young people who were even expelled from school. I've got, I think, three that were expelled from school because they were worthless and useless. They're incredible. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so I, so I, I guess we did kind of grow. And I, I, 
I think more about my mother, who back in the 1950s, she was a school teacher, fluent in the reo, um, but didn't use it around us, used it with the aunties. Um, but, you know, she was faced with this whole conundrum, what, what, what's the best thing for my children? And so at that time, she had been convinced, you know, they'd banned the language in schools, they'd done all sorts of things that if these children are going to succeed, we have to get them up to speed in this Pākehā world. So I went off to a boarding school at the age of 11 and learnt this entire Pākehā world mm. and have gone through. And, and, and so, you know, stars are lining. So really interesting. This year is the 250th anniversary of Captain Cook. And that immediately kind of stood out. It was sort of like, actually, you know what? Um, I, th I, at least I know now that my ancestors got here at least 500 years before them. Um, I don't know how, um, and it's kind of often said a bit of a legend, and some people had argued, you know, like Goldie, that they were blown here in a storm. So I started exploring that, and the stories, mm. it's like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Um, Professor Letice, Letice, Lisa Matiso-Smith, who is now in um, Otago University, has did a whole study called From Africa to Aotearoa on the DNA, and she's proven this journey. So I spent time with her. Um, so as it started to progress, you went, this is the 250th anniversary. We, we really should be talking, if we're talking about footsteps, Captain Cooks are there and they're valid. They go back 250 years. What I found from Lisa was my ancestors went back another 3,000 years to Indonesia. Mm. Actually, they went further than that. They went all the way back to Africa. The journey of mankind started 69,000 years ago in Africa. And that's accepted. It didn't start anywhere else. There was this point. And then there was this point, and then it spread around the world, walking, mainly, mainly by, by land. Um, and the, the thing that really struck out for me was that now that I've seen this other journey that came down to Aotearoa, that journey that began 69,000 years ago ended here. This was the last place. So we can talk about Polynesian ancestors, we can talk about those, but actually if you look at the really big, big picture of mankind, mankind left Africa 69,000 years ago and it ended here. No other country in the world can say that. We are the ultimate destination for all of mankind. And so, so it isn't about necessarily Māori. So Captain Cook... Their ancestry goes all the way back there. So we come from the same source. What an amazing lesson to pass to our young people that says, you know what? No other country in the world can lay claim to this. And do you know why they're now trying to go to Mars? It's because there's no place left on Earth. We are it. And if we are it, then we should understand all the cultures in the world. We should be the, we should be the most harmonious country in the world. We should understand that our roots encompass everything. And and this is the time to tell that story. And and just to put the last bit in, when I saw that this was also the fiftieth anniversary of land man, man landing on the moon, all that everything lined up. Cooper's journey to New Zealand is absolutely the equivalent of man going to the moon. Mm. For thousands of years, we looked up there, we saw the moon, we knew it was there. But we had to gather the knowledge and the technology to get there. What I've learned from Lisa, um, the 
trip across the Pacific, stopped in around Samoa, and they spent 2,000 years because they'd reached the limits of their technology. So over 2,000 years, they developed the knowledge, they developed the technology to go to this land that they knew was there. Just like we could see the moon, they could see this land down there. They developed the technology and then set off on a four, four and a half thousand kilometer journey across the ocean because they knew it was here. It's the same as man landing on the moon and this is the 50th anniversary. It's a much bigger achievement for the first navigators that found New Zealand than Cook. <laughs> like the, the, and the fact that in this country, those stories haven't been told. Like, how many statues are there to Cook and how many statues are there to Coupe? So how, how many banknotes? How many coins? How many things? You know, how present in the consciousness? And it's just totally wild that there's only been this, this one story of discovery for and, so many years. Yes, and, and you know, so we, we kind of grew up with this whole idea that, that it was a bit like um, they were legends myths and legends. Mm. Like in Wellington, there's this wonderful project going on between a young Māori lawyer and a Pākehā lawyer at, at Vic. And they're doing a program because the young Pākehā lawyer comes from quite a famous family. And one of the streets is named after his family. And so the two of them are working together. And the first thing they've discovered is something like there are 160 statues in, in Wellington. 150 of them are European, mm. you know, so this, and you probably do the same around Auckland, just about everywhere you go. But I think the important thing is that this isn't, this isn't about having this discussion in anger, no, no, um, no. because Captain Cook was an incredible navigator. Um, his, his, his contribution to the world um, is significant, uh, but what, what and, and we're not saying that our, our tupuna were superior, it's, they, they, they were pretty cool. What we're saying is that while we learned the stories of the Egyptians with their pyramids and Stonehenge at school 3,900 years ago, that was the same time that our Polynesian ancestors left Southeast Asia on this incredible migration in state-of-the-art craft across the world. So we're not saying we're better. What we're saying is we're missing. It's been missing. It's missing. So let's just fill that gap. You know, I, I have this this thing that we use on the program, which shows the history of. If you type in, is it is it just sorry to interrupt? Is is it just missing, or has it actually been covered up? You know, like because well, let's look at Cook. Like, you know, he he's he's so famous as a great navigator, but like, how many people would have known until so recently about the role of Tupaya? How many people would have known that he picked up a, a man in Tahiti who was a a great. Uh, a, 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 a great noble, a great tohunga, who uh, was able right. to then have a map of the other Pacific islands and was able to guide Cook to them and then was able to converse with the people he met. And then when they made it to New Zealand, although he didn't have a map all the way to New Zealand, his language was so similar, his Tahitian to Māori, that he yeah. was able to converse with people and translate and get Cook out of all of this shit that he got you, himself into because he was a he was a murderous ratbag. And so we have only heard the, the yeah. Cook story and never heard these other things. But the stories were there. They've just been like chosen to not be told. Well, well, you know, maybe there is another side to that again. And again, this is about having the conversation openly. Mm. Um, so, you know, the knowledge of the celestial navigators was uh, guarded. So, you know, it wasn't shared. It, inside, inside the culture, the tohunga who understood this, they passed it down personally. So, and because I guess maybe we didn't have the written word either, so... It was a protected knowledge. So 
we could be at that stage when Captain Cook arrived that, you know, a lot of Māori didn't really know the story that Tohunga did, but they're not going to share it with this white guy. It's sacred. It's tapu. So there's a whole gap there that maybe there's another another way to, to view this. And, you know, the fact that we didn't have writing, um, all of these stories were held in what we called were our myths and legends. And if you take this myth legend of Maui fishing up the North Island, I mean, you hear that as Captain Cook. It's a kind of fantasy. No one could ever fish up the island. What I have discovered now is that it's, um, it's a, a metaphor. If you're going to share your knowledge with orally and in arts, then the stories have to be big, like Moses, like carving the oceans. So Maui fishing up the North Island, uh, fishing up New Zealand, was actually, you know, fished it up with the jawbone of his grandmother. So that sounds really cruel, doesn't it? You take the door Well, actually, what it really meant was that um, Maui, over centuries, not just one person, the inquisitor, Maui, the questioner, um, over centuries, took the knowledge from the mouth mm. of his grandmother, from the jawbones of his elders. Mm. And as that knowledge passed down, they figured out, A, Aotearoa was down there, they figured out how to get there. So taking the knowledge that he'd learned from the mouth, from the jawbone, he cast that out, mm. hooked it to the land he knew was there, and made his journey. So now that makes sense. Mm. But I've grown up with this whole story that, oh, there's this funny Māori story, you know, this fisherman went out and he caught a fish and yeah. pulled it up. Well, we know that can't be true. This other version we know can be true. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely bang on that ignoring the oral tradition has been part of it. But, I mean, Tupaia was like, he was in the, the diaries of, yes. of Banks and Cook, and like, he's not a secret figure. But we were told about this great navigator. We weren't told he was a murderous ratbag. Yeah. We weren't told about, well, his crew his crew were murderous rat. We weren't told all these things. Like, if you look at the, um, there was that fantastic uh, uh, tweets recently talking about all of the places that he stopped into around New Zealand and the body count. Y yes, and it's, it's, yeah. it's just not the way it's been taught. So I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'm just saying that it's it's amazing that we've had this one-eyed view of history, and it's so cool that this is the backdrop to 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 your creating this new project, um, which we should talk about the project. So uh, you know, to, the to, stars to help make aligned. sure that these these, these yeah, stories are told. The stars are aligned, and 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 um, it's kind of interesting um, that you know the Fafaiti from Tahiti. So. We've put all in, put put all our tracking gear on it. Yeah, so, so, so tell us about what that is. That sorry, that project is that that's, um, so, that's rolling out now. So so what what it, it, it's it's um, so I, d I decided that um, if I look at where we'd come from, we developed all this technology for the America's Cup, Volvo Ocean Race, um, with all these clever white mates I've got. <laughs> but we developed all this technology, and then we discover that they're going to do this voyage, which is actually the equivalent of Kupe Whaini Museum, 4,000 miles from Tahiti to here. So we have this idea, why don't we put all our tracking gear on it and then we'll track this thing and right alongside it, it's like we've gone back in time and we've used today's technology to prove Kupe's voyage mm. because on board that waka is a 26-year-old Tahitian wahine who's the skipper. So we've just tracked them for over the past couple of weeks all the way down to Tauranga, which they've gone into this morning. On our app, you can see it. And she, while well, we've tracked them using millions of dollars with the satellites, she has stood beside that, not needing any of it, and she has absolutely nailed it. 
using the same celestial knowledge that Cooper brought to here. So even just having our all of our young people, but in particular the Māori and Pacific, are going, hey, bro, you've got something to be really proud of. And this science, innovation and technology, it's in your DNA. So even this past couple of weeks, so we've just started tracking um, the endeavour from Sydney coming across, and it's really interesting just to watch that track. It's half the, the Whawhiti is twice as fast. That's what Captain Cook when, found when he got to Tahiti. You know, the, the waka came out to meet him, sailed around him, and then leading him back in. They kept going back because they thought his boat was broken because mm. it was so slow. Yeah. But that's not the story we get told. We were never told that Captain Cook turned up here to a culture and a technology that was equal to what, at least equal, and in some cases advanced. That's why this was the first place the British Army got its butt kicked because they couldn't find a way into these fortified paths that they'd never seen anywhere in the world. Mm. We didn't learn those stories. We've learned these odd stories about bloody savages hiding behind picket fences, mm. you know? The design of those things is science, technology, engineering, and math. And our young people have to know that. And so you've created this, uh, you know, it's this, the, the anniversary of Cook's uh, landing, and so there were all these things planned around the endeavour, and you went, well, hang on, how about the story of the, the walker that arrived here? And so you've it, it added that into the story, but also created a platform that you're going to be launching yeah. to, to capture all of these stories that haven't been told. Is that right? Yeah, so so um, we've raised so far a million dollars. I need to find another half to, <laughs> to, to get through it. We're delivering all of our stuff for free. Um, and what we're, going to, what we're building is this platform that we are gifting to... I mean, I could say the Ministry of Education, we're talking to them, but actually the gift originally, initially, it's co-papa is we're gifting it to our young people, Māori and Pacifica in particular, but I am absolutely convinced when all of their mates at school see this, they will all get it. So next year, we're, so we're using this voyage and this time to start picking all the stories together, um, and the stories are phenomenal. They're just fantastic. I, I just saw the latest one about Tapaya, mm. um, which is done by a 22-year-old Māori girl, um, Noinoi Kerr, who um, started sailing on Waka when she was three. She, and she's never appeared on TV. She is going to be a star. Mm. But she tells this wonderful story about how Captain Cook met Tapaya. Tapaya gives him a crayfish, and, and she does it, you know, oh, you have this big crayfish? I'll take, your, I'll take that piece of cloth. That seems like a fair deal. But she tells that story you just told. To Paya helps Captain Cook down to New Zealand 500 years after they left, and Tapaya turns up, and the way she does it, you know, she's got to, hey, bro, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And she just does it in this lovely, lovely way, you know. So I, I think kids are going to relate to it. And um, I, the, I think the most important part of this story, this would never have ever got off the ground, and the person I'm going to mention won't even let me mention his name, but he's a Pagia friend, he's in the Flying Kiwis, the Technology Hall of Fame, and I was really stuck. You know, I, I, we needed to make this, um, and I needed to put some funds together, so I rang him, and I said, look, um, I'm going to tell you a story. So I was five minutes on telling him this background, and five minutes in, he said, that story has to be told, what do you need? Mm. And I said, Half a million would be really cool. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I said. He said. He said that's a really cool story. What do you need? 
um, it has to be told. I said, well, half a million would be a really cool starter. And he said, where do you want it? And the very next day, he sent me half a million dollars. And so that's what's funding us through here. We've got some support now from New Zealand on air. Uh, just managed to get that last week. So we're just moving moving forward. But, you know, I, I, it's one of those things, when you do things for the right reasons, it'll happen. So I need to find a little bit more money to finish the whole thing to, to give it. But that'll happen. Oh, I can't, can't wait to see more of it. And so it's we're, well, we're launching it. We're actually launching it. What, what, what we're doing is that this isn't about the voyage, and it isn't us trying to find an audience. Our audience, the bulk of them, haven't even been born yet. This is the power of this thing. You know, I don't need social media to sell it. I don't need to do um, press or anything because the gift we're giving is to these young people, and it will be in the system forever. So we're just quietly going about making it, but we are going to launch it on October the 5th so that um, we can share these stories with New Zealanders today. But what we're doing is inviting them to come along and join us as we uncover these stories. And next year, we'll take a deep breath and we'll probably work with the ministry in other places, especially now that they think history is important at last. Mm. We'll share with them to say, how do we gift this to you so it's here forever? Oh, that's so wonderful. And just as a final thought, like having had, you know, really amazing and interesting varied success across a number of things and, and now having um, th these projects that you're, you're, you've got such passion to bring to life, like how do you define success? What's what's success for you? It's really funny. I was um, I was speaking at a conference once and I you know, talked about numbers and the fact that money doesn't money doesn't rank in any of my calculations about what we do. And that had this guy from America was one of the keynote speakers. And um, after I finished, he said, he, he had the question, he said, you know, I, he said, I, that's just, that just doesn't make any sense. You have to have a way of measuring your success. And, you know, for me, it's financial. You know, I own a Ferrari. I own this. I own that. I'm successful. So how, if you don't value money, how do you do it? And I thought, oh, okay. I said, well, but here, I'm a really big golf fan. I love golf. So we do golf all over the world. And um, last year, I was in Hawaii, and I was on a golf cart. We were just coming back, and I came down. And this is when Tiger Woods was as a peak. And here's Tiger Woods on the driving range, on his own, with his coach, practicing this shot. So anyway, we pull down, and I'm with this, my, my aide, Nettie. We pull down. She goes, there's Tiger Woods. So we pull up, and we're watching Tiger Woods. And Nettie says, so shall we stay here, or shall we go and have a beer? Yeah, let's go and have a beer. That's success. I'm a fan of golf. I love golf. When I can finally look at Tiger Woods and go, eh, I'd rather have a beer, that's success. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming and sharing the story today, Ian Taylor, the founder uh, at uh, Animation Research Limited. And yeah, um, give us a, where will people be able to find this project so, online uh, shortly? Yeah, so October the 5th, as they go into, I think it's Tolaga Bay, we l we'll launch the site as well, and it's called The Voyage. So thevoyage.co.nz. Thevoyage.co.nz. Ah, Karawe, so awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing, and thank you very much for having us along and listening. Uh, if you are a fan and follower of the spin-off, make sure you check out the spin-off members, uh, a program where you're able to get behind and support and choose and shape the investigative journalism that the spin-off provides. Thank you.
you've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.